Welcome to another episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio show and podcast featuring your physician hosts, Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally, where we and our guests discuss relevant and health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. Dr. Doctor is brought to you in part by our generous underwriting friends at CMF Curo. Learn more at mycatholichealthcare.org. Live your Catholic faith in your healthcare with CMF Curo. Today, our guest will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Returning to the Dr. Doctor guest microphone today will be Dr. Bob Schutz, a PhD marriage and family therapist who's retired from that work and now devotes full-time to the JP2 Healing Center. He'll explore with us the effects of marriage on health and health on marriage. Now, Andrew, in your field of family medicine, there's an assumption in the very name of your specialty, family medicine, that you specialize in caring for health in the context of relationships with the family. So what makes this episode so important to you? Yeah, marriage is the most intimate building block of families. And knowing how one family member is doing, not only the the medical side of things, but even spiritually and psychologically really imparts a lot of information about how to care for the other members. And I know as we prepare for this, Tom, you it might scare our listeners to know that you found more research than normal even to share with them. So I'm <laughs> I'm going to let you take it and, and I'll try and cut you off if it gets too long. Well, what we're trying to do here is go through the research that talks about health benefits of being married toward versus not being married. And I was surprised at how much research there is out there. And I guess I got a little carried away. So I'll try to get the high points. And then Dr. Bob's going to tell us how we can have the better marriages that have the better health outcomes. Uh, and then he'll also talk about how can our health, whether good or ill, influence our marriage. So there's a number of different ways we want to see how this fits together, but it's a unique episode and we think we have the right team to do it here, especially with Dr. Bob. So going back 21 years to 2001, there's a study and the, the summary of it was that basically a marriage with hostility and poor communication had negative health effects. So a bad marriage was worse than a good marriage. It had bad effects on the, the heart, the, the hormone system, the endocrine, the immune system, and the ne- neurology, uh, the nerves and um, spinal cord. 2006 study, big one, marriage and how long people live. Uh, this was a study that compared currently married people to those previously married, either divorced or widowed, to those never married. And the punchline is that if you were never married, you had the highest rate of mortality at any age of marriage. Men fared better than women and younger fared better than older. So young men, 19 to 44, you had over twice the rate of mortality if you had never been married versus someone married. There was a 67% increase for women who had never been married in that age group. But even those over 65, they still lived longer if they were married compared to never married. And the oldest women benefited more than the oldest men in this study. Now, something that was really shocking is that the healthier the person was who was never married, the higher the risk of their mortality versus someone who was married and healthy versus unhealthy. It's just crazy. Uh, And then they show that causes of death that differed in these groups. You had a five times higher risk of dying from an infectious disease if you were never married versus someone married twice as high for trauma, 38% higher for cardiovascular. And they found similar research evidence, not only in the United States, but across the pond in the UK, Sweden, Denmark, and the Netherlands. And they've shown, showed then, and even more robustly now that social isolation is a big part of this. But interestingly, if you'd been married and were divorced or widowed and living alone, you still did better than the never married. And they, they tried to equate this risk with things we commonly hear about, high blood pressure, cholesterol. It's the same risk factor for heart disease, never being married versus having high cholesterol or high blood pressure. And then, you know, our own government, the Health and Human Services, uh, reviewed the data up through 2007. And they showed that marriage can lead to healthier habits, like less heavy drinking, but unhealthy habits, more weight gain in those who married versus those who didn't. Uh, But they did show that uh, at that time, married people put on an average of five pounds more at a certain age than those who were unmarried. And and we reviewed this in a previous episode a couple years ago, that 
uh, in their 20s, uh, people tend to put on a lot of weight. But And married people put on nine pounds more if they're women, six pounds more if they're men versus those who are unmarried. But on the other hand, mental health was better if you were married. Uh, so was access to health care. Uh, and then 2011, an enormous study, 10 times larger than ever done on the effect of marriage on longevity, how long people live. 175,000 persons looked at. So this was 10 times bigger than any study. And once again, currently married, lived longer than those who were widowed or divorced, lived longer than those who were never married. And this benefit extended up until men were in their late 80s, women who were in their early 80s. That is incredible. Then survival after cardiac surgery, a study from 10 years ago, 90% increased mortality rate if you adjusted age and smoking for those who were um unmarried, never married, 90% increase versus those who were married. Then a study that involved heart bypass surgery. And they looked at satisfying marriages versus unsatisfying marriages. The satisfying marriages, people did better, but all the married ones did better, three time better survival rate or three time, three time higher mortality rate if you weren't married versus those who were. Uterine cancer in women, 20% lower death rate if they were married versus widowed or single. And then a study from 2017, women with cervical cancer. Compared to married women, those who were widowed, separated, or single had a 20 to 35% higher rate of death from it. So just remarkable, the study showing that marriage is better for your physical health than having never been married. Any questions, Andrew? I, I'm kind of flabbergasted at the study about cabbage, I think, and some, some Cornary, guy. Who, cor- tell, tell our listeners what cabbage is besides uh, something that looks like heart, a lettuce. Heart bypass graft, right? <laughs> yes. And some right. guy, uh, I hope this was anonymous, rated not highly satisfied in his marriage. I heard later he was lost to follow-up. He uh, was never heard <laughs> from again. Um, so... Just heads up, make sure that's anonymous before you respond to that one. But no, I totally believe all of this stuff. I mean, I don't know. I, marriage has, I just going on my experience, has been such a good thing for my life in a lot of ways. And I, I see it in other people's as well because, well, I guess that's what we're going to get to in the interview, right? That's exactly right. And the benefit in all the studies is better for men in terms of longevity. Yep. The women do more for us than we do for them, it seems. I'm not surprised. So it's we're coming up on our break. But before that, we have our medical trivia question of the day. And the topic is marriage health, American style. So the health of marriages, not the health of the people in them. So to me, one measure of the health of a marriage in a culture is the rate at which people marry and the frequency at which children are born to a married couple versus a non-married couple. So as the rate of children born outside of marriage increases, we might conclude that the state of marriage as an institution is declining in that culture. Simple question. In 1990, 26% of American children were born outside of marriage. What is that percentage today? You'll get the answer after the interview at the end of the show here on Dr. Doctor. But after the break, we'll be back with Dr. Bob Schutz. Welcome back to our interview with Dr. Bob Schutz about the relationships between marriage and health. Bob's been with us before. He's got a PhD in family relations from Florida State University in 1981. He's the author of numerous books, including Be Devoted, Restoring Friendship, Passion, and Communion in Your Marriage. Uh, He is an expert on this subject. He's also the founder of the John Paul II Healing Center, where he and his team provide healing and equipping conferences for clergy, religious, and lay people in the Catholic Church. His books, his recorded talks, conferences, works books on marriage are available through jp2healingcenter.org. That's jpiihealingcenter.org. He and his co-host, Jake Kim, also have a wonderful podcast I've listened to multiple episodes called Restore the Glory. And you can find that at restoretheglorypodcast.com. Bob and his wife, Margie, were married for 42 years before she passed away in 2017. And we'll get to talk some about Margie in this episode. Bob's got two grown daughters who are married and serve in his ministry at John Paul II Healing Center. He's also got 10 grandchildren. Bob, welcome back to Dr. Doctor. Thank you, Dr. Tom. It's good to be with you. 
Hey, the heading to your book on marriage is from Romans 12, 10, be devoted to one another in love. We're going to talk a lot about the effects of that love and what that love looks like. But first, I'd just like to know, what's your gut level reaction to the um, to the data that I shared earlier? Well, if I can put it into two words, it's love heals. Love heals. And, uh, you know, if I take all of those different studies together, it's hostility in marriage, places where marriage is not good, influences health in a negative direction. The absence of love, being unmarried, or having multiple relationships that aren't stable, uh, not in marriage, also is uh, detrimental to health. So that would be my major conclusion from those. And uh, I think that makes common sense to us too. What what do you make of the never married penalty or the people who've never been married? They do worse health-wise compared to even people in in less satisfying marriages or even in divorced people. And then obviously the married people do the best. Why is that? Well, I, you know, in my experience, I see it in a couple of different ways. One is ones who have never had really a, a good, healthy, loving relationship. And so there's the absence of love and, and isolation, separation has a really deleterious effect on our health, both emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And so I think that's one of the places. The other is oftentimes there can be multiple relationships. And so it's it's traumatic to have multiple relationships rather than just a single relationship. And so there's all kind of health, negative health effects for that. And also things like sexually transmitted diseases. And I think some of those cancer Uterine cancer results probably a reflection of that because uterine cancer is higher and people who use birth control higher in those who have had multiple sexual partners. So there's a lot of factors, I think, in that. But I think primarily it's that loss of committed love that doesn't allow the person to really thrive in their health. Well, let's start with what apparently is a simple question and something you dealt with every time you did you know, um, marriage and, and family therapy. And that is, what's a good marriage? What does it mean to be devoted to one another in love? A good marriage is one where love is present, where love is really present. And, you know, God is love. So the presence of God's presence, the God's spirit, and the kind of love that God loves us with makes for a good marriage. And so when we talk about the sacrament of marriage or the covenant of marriage, we're, we're talking about a love that isn't conditional, that isn't, if you treat me well, I'll treat you well, but it's love that's unconditional and permanent that says, I'm going to be here for you and love you through thick and thin and sickness and in health. And I think that kind of love is a devotion. So whatever comes up, I'm not going to become fickle and turn my back on you. I know all of us have weaknesses and we all go through difficulties in relationship, but that kind of love where God is present and blessing the marriage. And it's not just in name, but it's in reality. It's in it's in the way that we relate to each other. That makes for a good marriage. Good as in God. You know, God is good. And whatever is, good. is God uh, is, is a good marriage. You know, something I love about uh, my wife is when I've probably been particularly annoying with my own sense of humor that doesn't fit hers, she'll look at me and said, no matter how much you annoy me, you're stuck with me. You're not getting out of this. <laughs> I just love yeah. that attitude because <laughs> it's it's not about feelings. And boy, that gets us through a whole lot of things when you take off the table right away that that's even an option. Yeah, really does. That's devotion. Okay. So uh, you make, uh, well, you mentioned the importance of communication in marriage. And that early in your marriage to Margie, poor communication on your part came from a failure to cherish Margie. And I've heard my wife and my daughters talk often about their desire to be cherished. And and for some reason, that's not really in the male lexicon. So translate that for us men. Yeah, I think there is an old song, you know, I don't remember all the lyrics, but it's about cherishing. And it is, it's foreign to us. You know, to to me, it was about commitment, right? I'm Mm -hmm. committed. I'm here. Right. I'm going to do it. But for a woman who's so much more relational, it's the quality of that commitment, which is why I use the word be devoted. And, uh, you know, at at one point I was trying to convince Margie of my commitment to her and Mm -hmm. she could feel the place where my heart was pulled away. And she says, I don't want your 
blank commitment. I want your devotion. I want your devotion. <laughs> ouch. <laughs> and, yeah, ouch. Yeah, ouch. <laughs> and it was the realization of of it's not okay just to be present. I have to be present with my heart. And and for so many of us, when we're just used to functioning and doing what we're supposed to be doing, we don't realize how that comes across, particularly to a woman. I, I think for either a man or a woman, we know when there isn't that deeper devotion present. But to cherish is to treat uh, with, a, with a tenderness, with a dignity, with a respect, with an honor, uh, and I think with a with a uh, a sensitivity. I think all that's part of cherishing. Well, and you know, one of the things that kind of caught my eye in your book, "Be Devoted," on page thirty-eight, you say that the most important aspect of communication in marriage is actually prayer. I don't think that would show up on Family Feud. You know, I'm not sure <laughs> probably we would get that. Yeah. Explain to us: is that a stunning statement, or what? What don't we understand? Well, again, if God is love and we want love to be the center of our marriage, then if we don't invite God into the center of our marriage, then we're really fooling ourselves if we think it's love. Uh, but the statistics bear it out. You know, couples who worship together uh, have about a 90% chance of staying together. Just even weekly worship together, they have about a 90% chance of staying together for life. If they pray together regularly, you know, hopefully every day, it goes up to like 98, 99%. Because it's really hard to carry a grudge when you're praying. Uh, it's really hard uh, to ignore for a long period of time your spouse's needs if you're praying together. Uh, you know, there, there's a vulnerability, there's a real vulnerability in praying. And there's a humility that says, you know, as we pray the Our Father, you know, we're, we're sitting there side by side as children before the Father. And you know, all of a sudden, we're becoming like little children rather than in our pride and our arrogance and all the other things that we can get into that really destroy a relationship. So, Bob, I'd like you to give all of us men some homework. Back to the prior question on cherishing. What is one concrete thing we can do, because we men often are very concrete, that will actually be received as cherishing by our wives? Well, I think a lot of that depends on the individual wife. So, for example, okay. uh, a man may bring flowers to his wife, but that may not be her love language. Time and okay, attention. Okay, so it's love languages. Yes. Some a time and attention may be her love language, or service may be her love language. So it's finding out what really she experiences as love and do that. Got it. Yep, I learned that a while ago. Because often our love languages are not the same. So what we'd like, we do it for them and they don't. Yeah. 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 That's great homework. All right. So if marriage is so important or marriage, prayer and marriage is so important, what are the main obstacles to it and how do we overcome them? Well, I think you know, most of the time we don't like to think about it, but there is a real act of spiritual warfare against marriages. I, I, I worked for a while with people coming out of Satanism. And they would tell me that they would curse marriages. Uh, and, and there was real spiritual activity against the marriage being grounded in God. So, uh, you know, the first is is that spiritual opposition. We're, we're, there is a real opposition. Second, I think, is uh, there's an apathy. You know, even when we know it's important, we just kind of let life take over and we neglect it. And I think a third one is we're uncomfortable being vulnerable. Uh, and, and there's a certain vulnerability when we enter into prayer. Uh, we can't hide as much when we're in prayer. I mean, we can do formal kinds of prayers, but if we start to really pray together, we, we, we become vulnerable to each other. So, Bob, in an episode we just recorded with your friend, Dr. Tom Nelson, vulnerability also came up. Vulnerability seems to be that which we see as a virtue in everybody else except ourselves. How do we become more vulnerable? I think it's by by becoming more real again, which is what prayer does. Uh, and you know, vulnerability is being being able to take our armor off and be be able to be wounded because our hearts are open, our hearts are exposed. But it's only that that allows love to develop. 
right? If we're both armored up, it's like two porcupines kissing, you know, they don't get very close. <laughs> Got it. So what, what, what do you do if both spouses aren't really committed to this? I can see listeners saying, oh, yep, that's what my spouse needs. Uh, well, how, <laughs> how do you start if it's, if it's the other person who you really want to work on? Yeah, both in terms of prayer and vulnerability. I think, first of all, is never forcing anybody into prayer. That doesn't work. I tried that. It didn't work. Uh, <laughs> but you can always pray yourself for your marriage. And so when I had invited Margie to pray with me during the day, she just wasn't comfortable with it. Uh, and so I would get on my knees and pray for us every day. And then on vacation, she would offer this gift to me of saying, let's pray. Let's pray a rosary together. Which, oh. which was a real gift. And if I had been trying to pressure her, that gift would have never come. Uh, and so I, I think it's just respecting where the other person is and us taking on the responsibility of doing it for ourselves and then just trusting if if that trust builds, then the spouse may be open to do it. Um, and so the same thing with vulnerability. The, way, the best way to uh, increase vulnerability in a relationship is any relationship is to uh, take the first step, you know, vulnerability begets vulnerability. And usually our, for us men, our wives are much better at that than we are. Yes. Yes. I think on page 52 to 53 of your book, there's what I thought was the key passage related to the topic of this show. You say that emotional empathy in marriage is important and that only 7% of couples have a high level of that empathy. Yet couples possessing that emotional connection have greater physical, psychological, and spiritual health than those that don't. Let's unpack that. First of all, what is emotional empathy? Yeah, I think I was quoting Gregory Popchek's book, The, the, the Top 7% of Marriages in that. Uh, and empathy is the ability to put ourselves in the other's shoes and to feel with the other person. That's literally what it means empathy, you know, to feel with. And again, women do this better than men. But if we can allow ourselves to not only listen to the words of our spouse, but to hear the feelings that are being communicated. And oftentimes we don't have to guess at it. Our, our wives usually, you know, if we're men, our wives usually are communicating what they're feeling. And it may not be in the cleanest way, you know. I remember sitting out on the porch one day and my wife was sharing all these things that she was feeling and I was feeling rejected by the things that she was saying. Amen. <laughs> and, and <laughs> yes. So, so I became defensive in that. Thankfully, I'd stopped to pray and I heard the Holy Spirit saying, she's not rejecting you. She's rejecting the things that keep you from being you. And all of a sudden Ooh. it just shifted. My, my awareness shifted. And then I was able to be less guarded and to hear what she was saying. So I think what gets in the way a lot of times is our defensiveness. Uh, and once we can get the focus off of us and what we think, you know, our wives and, and our spouses aren't giving us a report card, right? God gives us a report card. Uh, our spouses are just telling us their experience. And so if we'll just listen and hear their experience and we can hear their feelings, we can then empathize with what they're experiencing, even if we don't agree with their point of view, we can empathize with the, what they're experiencing. Last um, night, I was reading a book by Father Jacques Philippe, uh, Interior Freedom, and he said something that seems to be related to this, and that there's nothing anybody can do or say to us that actually diminishes who we are. Yet, like you said, when your wife was saying that those things, you felt like it. How do we get over that? How do we get to what Father Jacques Philippe is saying and realize it's not making us less? Yeah, that's one of my favorite books, uh, Jacques Philippe's Interior <laughs> Freedom. Uh, it, it's it's by dealing with those areas that we believe. I mean, what what's happening when our spouse says something and we get reactive? It's because we believe it already about ourselves. Ah, uh, we're living in the identity of our woundedness, of our pr previous experiences where we've taken in perceptions of other people, and people don't see us accurately. You know, they see us through distorted lenses. And so they can't tell us who we are. The only way we can come to really know who we are is through the eyes of God, as, as beloved sons and daughters. And, and that's not just words. It's, 
It's taking all of those areas of our life and being able to see ourselves through his eyes of love. And when we're grounded in that, and we, that's the process of healing, when we're grounded in that, then we're less reactive to the things that are being said about us. And again, that's a lifelong process. I'm still in that process, as you guys probably are too. Uh, yes, <laughs> not there yet. But every every movement we make really opens up communication at a deeper level because then we can hear what they're saying about themselves rather than what they're saying about us. Bob, what, what's been your experience? I know we've talked in, in a previous show as well about kind of some of these unhealed wounds and resentments and things of that nature. Would you say that pretty much everybody has, has some of these things that they have to kind of discover about themselves to progress spiritually? Or is this not something, if, if you are listening and say, gee whiz, I don't think that's me, is that accurate or they just have to kind of pray about it more? Yeah, there's just a lack of awareness if we don't see it. I mean, because of original sin, we all have woundedness. And as I said, I think in the other episode, even if nobody in our life ever hurt us, our own sin hurt us. You know, we took on shame from our own sin. And so to say I've never been wounded would be to say, not only have I never sinned, but nobody around me in my whole life has ever sinned against <laughs> me. You know? So that's not possible. Maybe, so, Joseph, well, very maybe, maybe Joseph could have said that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, people around him, that's right. <laughs> so what, what are some of the best ways to start attacking these barriers, the barriers to emotional intimacy for well, couples? I think, I think they come up all the time in, in marriage. So all we have to do is pay attention to what we experience when we have a discussion and we start to get reactive. And one of the things I talk about in Be Devoted is particularly pay attention to the reactions that result in fearful judgments. When you when you make a judgment about your spouse, the fear that's behind that, right? It's it's a you're, you're protecting yourself by a judgment, and wherever that's happening, there's a very good likelihood that there's a wound behind that fearful judgment, and so. Anytime we're in interaction and we feel like we're being triggered and we, we tend to think, well, it's just them doing that to us. And there, there's probably some truth in that. But almost always, if it's them doing it and we're not reacting, it's because we have a free heart. But like Jacques mm -hmm. Philippe said, if we're reacting, there's something in our own heart that is an indication of a wound there, an identity wound, some a place where we believe something about ourselves that's more shamed and rejected and that kind of thing. Bob, what's a way for us to get a, a quick and dirty assessment of the level of emotional empathy or emotional intimacy we have with our spouses? How do we know if we're hot, cold, warm, whatever? Well, I think the first one is, is to feel it inside of ourselves. And again, that language for us men sometimes is difficult, but to be able to uh, sense, do I feel connected to my spouse? And do I feel emotionally connected? Do I feel, do I feel like I'm aware of what they're going through through the day? I'm, I'm, I'm attentive to what they're experiencing during the day. And I feel like my spouse is attentive to what I'm going through through the day. And we can share that at the end of the day. You know, we can share our joys and our sorrows. So that, that's the first one is, am, am I aware of that connection? But probably even better is asking our spouse. Some of us don't want to get that information, but to say, <laughs> you know, do, do you feel that I'm empathic, that I have empathy for you? Do you feel connected to me emotionally? Do you Man, feel- That's dangerous. <laughs> that is dangerous, isn't it? <laughs> it makes us vulnerable. <laughs> it, yeah. it does make us vulnerable. And, and it's likely we're going to get an answer that we don't want, which is oh. to the level that we're comfortable- they still have a big deficit because they're used to emotional intimacy at another level than we are usually. Uh, another way is to ask your children, uh, what do you observe in the marriage between your mother and I or your siblings that are around you? Or, you know, do, do you think we love each other well? Do you see us as being emotionally connected to each other? And if they're honest with you, I think they'll give us good information. And then the fourth way is ask in prayer. Holy Spirit, where am I in this? Where where would you say I am in this uh, emotional connectedness? 
So we have lots of homework opportunities. <laughs> so the baseline level, learn your spouse's love language and exercise it. And those who want to go the extra mile, sounds like extra credit <laughs> to me because it's so hard. Ask your spouse if they feel you have empathy for them. Then ask your children. Oh, my goodness. And then ask the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah. Great advice, Bob. <laughs> I, I bet I bet there's all kinds of benefits that can come from if we can overcome our fear of doing that. Yeah, I, I wonder if less than 7% are going to take that up, right? Yes. <laughs> I, I wonder if they're going to be healthier if they take that up, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, if we don't have this level of emotional intimacy, have you just given us the steps to get there, or uh, is there more to it than that? No, I think that's the steps to assess it. Uh, I think that's the beginning, is just to be aware of, of reality. Uh, and that's what humility is, is just dealing with reality. Uh, and so for so many of us, we build up this pride of a self-image that the rest of the world relates to us in this self-image, but our spouses see something different. And and so it's, it is very vulnerable to let go of our pride and just deal with the reality. And, you know, my wife was uh, not a critical person, but she was the the, the best one to, to help me learn humility uh, because I could hear and see things in my relationship with her that the rest of the world wasn't going to tell me. The rest of the world thought I was wonderful, uh, or at least they didn't tell me if they didn't think so. But my, <laughs> wife, my wife could tell me, here are the things that are hurting me. Here are the things that where I don't feel loved. Uh, so, but your question is, how do we build it if it's not there? Uh, it's a lot of what I go through in the uh, five levels of communion and be devoted. Uh, you know, prayer, sharing, emotionally sharing, sharing joy and sharing sorrow. You know, I I had dinner at one of my children's houses and. Uh, they and their children go around the dinner table and they said, let's share your joy and your sorrow from the day, or your joy and Ooh. your junk. Uh, nice. Sometimes sometimes they go, joy, Jesus, and junk. So what was your Jesus today? What was your joy today? And what was your junk today? Um, but I, I, that, that would be a just real small way around the dinner table. It changes the level of conversation. Yeah. Um, another way, I think we really all need to learn how to listen well. You know, as, as doctors, you know that with your patients. Uh, if you don't listen, uh, it, you just begin to treat them as an object rather than treating them as persons. And same thing with our spouses. If we're just thinking we know how to treat them without listening to what they need uh, or what hurts them, then we're really not listening well. We're not loving them well. Uh, and then to speak, when we do speak, to speak in language that isn't blaming or isn't critical, but language that is vulnerable, language that is revealing who I am. So rather than uh, you, you really you really disgusted me when you did that. That's not a very cherishing statement. Uh, you know, when you when you said that thing, that was disgusting, or that really upset me. Or rather than say, uh, when you said this to our daughter, it really hurt me. Uh, because I could see her pain and I could feel your pain in the middle of that. Okay, you, you feel the difference there. One's a judgment yes. that's coming out of my own stuff. The other is speaking truth, but it's speaking it in a way that has empathy for both. You have such a gentle voice and way of saying things. Some of us husbands aren't as good as that. <laughs> we need to channel that somehow. And right now we need to take a break. We will be back with more on marriage and health with Bob, Dr. Bob Schutz here on Dr. Doctor. And we are back with Dr. Doctor today talking to Dr. Bob Schutz about marriage and health. We've been learning a lot about intimacy. I think I'm going to have homework after my wife listens to this episode. Um, <laughs> uh, kind of pivoting. We've been discussing how one's marriage can affect one's health. How about the reverse? How does one's health influence the quality of their marriage? Perhaps... You know, do you have any experience in that regard where you've maybe a story you could share with us? Yeah, let me let me use another example before I come back to health and because uh, I think it's illustrative. I did my doctoral dissertation on couples who have their first child, and I wanted to study the effect on a marriage of a child being born. 
And what I found was that those couples who had a good marriage, having a child enhanced their marriage, even though their communication lessened, their number of tasks increased, their time together was less. It actually increased the intimacy and closeness in the marriage and the love and the, and the marital satisfaction. But those couples that were struggling before a child was born, the birth of a child kind of blew them apart. It was like a stressor that created even more distance and created a downward spiral. So I would use that as an analogy for the health. It's not okay. one or the other, right? So a couple that already has a good marriage or is working towards a good marriage, the sickness of a spouse could increase the love and the intimacy because it's now concentrated. And I'll share experiences in my own marriage. Sure. Uh, and even couples that are, you know, kind of just doing okay, spouse getting sick can wake them up again uh, in what I experienced in my own marriage. But a couple that is really not working at their marriage and disconnected from each other, and one of the spouses gets sick, and then they can't give what they were giving before, it could really deteriorate an already bad marriage uh, to the point of divorce. So it can go either direction. Very good. So how did it impact your marriage when your wife got ill with her final illness? Well, I was mentioning before about my desire to have that spiritual bond together. And, uh, you know, it was there periodically, but it wasn't there constantly. I, I go to mass and communion every day, and I really desired for that with my wife, but it just wasn't where her heart was. But when she got sick, two things happened. One is I put everything else aside and was home, uh, particularly for the last month. One of my daughters and my son-in-law that I just mentioned uh, moved in and helped us. Uh, and then my other daughter and son-in-law and my grandchildren were all just here constantly. So the, the sense of making important the important things took precedence right then. Everything else took second importance. This was important. We cherished each other because we knew that there was limited time. Uh, secondly, um, Margie then became open to receiving communion every day. So I'd come back from mass and bring her communion and we would pray together. And, and so the things that I've been praying for, for years, God did in the moment where you'd least expect it to happen. Uh, right. <laughs> it, you have a vision of how it's going to look and he, and he does it in a totally different way. Uh, but it was so beautiful. It was like, even though it was so hard for all of us to watch her deteriorate, it was also so beautiful to have the intimacy and love increase during that period of time. And uh, two things from that. One is uh, I was around her, you know, 24-7, and so were my children a lot. Uh, but one day I went out to a, on Labor Day weekend, I went to my brother's house who lives in town for a cookout for two hours. When I came back, because she had dementia, she thought I was gone for months. Oh. And it, she's burst into tears. And she says, Bob, is, where were you? It's so good. And she wrapped her arms around me and hugged me. And it was like I hadn't received a hug like that since we were dating in the sense of, you know, just the recognizing the centrality of our love for each other. And it was just like really realizing the what was really important to both of us. Uh, and then her sister, who also lived in town, came over during that time. And she said, I see the two of you in love more than I saw you before you got married. Uh, and it was so heartening because it would have been my prayer all along that we would grow in love and devotion for each other. And, and so to see the way God worked through the things that you don't want to see happen, but just how his grace was so present and people praying for us. We had people all over praying for us uh, and we could just feel the grace. And I think that's the other thing that happens is just the grace that takes place when you get into a situation that's out of normal. So I think you uh, displayed uh, that old saying I heard of that suffering can make you better or bitter. And yep. it made you better. So it, it's really good situations or bad situations can make us go either direction. And, and with the good situations, I'm wondering if a couple has good health till they're into their 60s or 70s, do you think it lends to them taking each other for granted more easily? 
I think it certainly can. I think it certainly can. Um, I, again, in our situation, it was like you—you you don't think that there's not going to be a tomorrow. So it's like, well, I can do all the things that I normally do every day, and and take my spouse for granted. I, I'll, I'll give you a, just a, another quick uh, anecdote from my marriage. Uh, I never realized the importance of that daily companionship until after Margie was gone. Oh. Just sitting on sitting on the couch where I'd hold hands with her and watch a show that she'd like or rub her feet after she gets home for work or she would just snuggle up against me or waking up in bed in the morning and nobody's there. And then I had a trip. I had my first trip. It was a month after she had, uh, no, two weeks after she had died. And as I'm gone, I pick up my f- cell phone to call her. Oh. And then I look at the phone and say, there's nobody on the other end. And it's like all those things I'd taken for granted that were just daily ways of connecting and loving each other that were just so small and so seemingly insignificant, but they became very significant when she wasn't there. So I think in in that sense, we can take each other for granted when we have good health. You know, I've operated on thousands of elderly patients, and I've met many heroic men and women taking care of their spouses with dementia. Just yesterday, I had a patient. My go-to question is, what would you be doing today if you weren't here? His answer was, every day I spend most of the day at the assisted living with my wife who has dementia. He has to drive the six miles, spends it with her, goes home. And you could tell it just tore him apart that they weren't living together. In fact, he was trying to figure out how we could get into this place. So how do we get to that marriage where we are that husband or that wife doing that? Yeah, that's that's hard. I, my son-in-law's parents are going through that also. And it just it's beautiful to watch how that deepens that commitment to love uh, in the end of life. But it's also painful to watch. Uh, I think I think it's just every day. It's just our prayer every day that we can cherish and love and be devoted so that when the tough times comes, we've already developed a pattern of that. But even if we haven't, sometimes those tough times will bring that out of us. You know, it'll draw that out of us when we Good point. Did, didn't know we had had it in us. And then what about the burnout that the caregiving spouse can undergo? How do they protect themselves so they have something to give? Yeah, that's very real. Uh, my my daughter and son-in-law have been going over to relieve uh, his father, and then they have, thankfully, they had insurance and they had caregivers that he can get out of the house. But but I've watched that happen for him, uh, and even for me, if you know my wife's illness was only a few months, but if my daughter and son-in-law hadn't moved in to help, it would have been really a lot harder. Uh, to be in that situation. So I, so I think it's getting help, which is sometimes really hard to do in those circumstances and getting people that really care. Um, but secondly, it's just recognizing that, that I can only give if I uh, have a capacity, you know, and so I need, it's not selfish to take some time for myself. And what do I need to do? Who do I need to ask? Again, vulnerability, who do I need to ask to come in and help here? Uh, so that I can take care of myself in order to be able to provide for the spouse's needs. You know, Bob, when in kind of preparing for the show, there was a blog that described, you know, the obvious physical benefit of marriage is that spouses look out for each other. Um, I can think of a lot of ways my wife looks out for me. Yeah. What is some examples, I guess, of a good way that men could look out for their wives? Well, I think, first of all, just by your presence, uh, you know, my parents divorced. And when my dad was not there, all of us felt unsafe and unprotected and unprovided for. Uh, we, we take that for granted, but just just by our physical presence and by, you know, looking out for the needs of, of our spouse and our children, just that is giving something. Uh, but the ways we've been talking about uh, now, you know, what most of the studies show that wife's a woman's number one need is emotional intimacy, uh, security and emotional intimacy. So the security comes from stability and provision and protection. 
and then emotional intimacy. So I think that's one of the ways that most spouses would say, this is what I long for in my marriage as a way that my spouse can care for me. What, what I hear is time. Yep. It well, sounds to me like time is kind of the prerequisite or maybe, uh, I don't know if it's analogous, but there's probably no cliff notes for emotional intimacy. Yeah, it's it's being present and then sharing and listening, I think, are the the cliff notes, if you will. And then the last deep question uh, would be, you know, sometimes there's anxiety in marriages because spouses don't trust each other. How do you start to rebuild trust if it's been lost? Yeah, re- really challenging. Uh, one is to acknowledge it first. You know, the, the first pay attention, acknowledge where trust has been broken. Uh, if we are responsible either partially or completely for the broken trust, it's taking responsibility for it and making a humble apology. Just like when we go to confession, you know, we don't justify our sins. Well, in marriage, for some reason, we tend to justify the ways in which we've been weak in character and have broken trust. And, and just in that humility to be able to get vulnerability, to be able to say, uh, this is what I've done and I'm responsible for it. And I recognize this has been the effect of that. And I am dedicated to not only addressing my own character behind this, but I'm dedicated to addressing the hurt that this caused to restore the, the damage that's been done here. And, and then obviously asking for forgiveness, but too often we ask for forgiveness as though we're excusing ourselves rather than really addressing the issue. Uh, and then to really focus on not just the behaviors that cause the broken trust, but the attitudes behind it. You know, so oftentimes, even when we go to confession, we confess our behaviors, but it's our attitudes that are the real culprit. And so to really own that and to be aware of that and, and work on that, address that, and, uh, you know, I was talking before about fearful judgments, just being aware of the ways in which we're making judgments towards our spouse or or we're excusing ourselves for poor behavior. You know, those are, those are the kind of things that will change the way that we act then in the relationship. What are the final takeaway comments you have for our listeners? Uh, invest in your marriage. It's worth it. Uh, it it's it's it affects you and your health but it affects the health and well-being of everybody around you uh, if you have children if you have siblings brothers and sisters parents uh friends it, everybody's affected by a good marriage and everybody's affected by a bad marriage and so invest invest yourself in it great advice dr bob we hope to have you back here on dr doctor but thank you for being with us today yeah thank you both thank you god bless you And we are back with Dr. Doctor and the answer to the medical trivia question today about marriage and childbearing. Right, Tom? That's right. So in 1990, 26% of American children were born to parents who weren't married. What percent is it today? It's 40%. And in fact, Utah has the lowest rate, 19%. Mississippi, the highest with 56%. And between 1990 and 2016, the rate nearly doubled among whites, the biggest percentage increase from 15 to 28% among any subgroups. Now, Andrew, there were a ton of benefits of of things that Dr. Bob said we could do to improve marriage. How did you narrow down your top three takeaways? Yeah, you know, the way I'm kind of looking at this episode is the first quarter, it's good to have a better marriage for your health if you needed a reason. And then really talking to Bob, he's gone through so many things My top three, you know, number one, you heard him say it, God really has to be the center of your marriage. God is love. And he he said it backwards as well, love is God, uh, which kind of struck me. But God has to be center. And that starts with prayer. You know, he talked about praying together. And I think if you're not praying together with your spouse daily, you really should do that. Um, Number two would be emotional intimacy. Prayer will lead to that. But also what, what I kept hearing, and maybe it's a voice of my, my wife in my head saying time. <laughs> when he said emotional intimacy, I heard time. 
And uh, <laughs> that's probably a prerequisite to the emotional intimacy, but also being vulnerable in the other things he said. So that's number two. And then number three, I would just encourage folks to lean into your marriage and invest in your marriage, both time and otherwise. There's a few things in life like, I don't know, so many things require moderation. Uh, prayer usually doesn't. Uh, going to mass, no moderation necessary. You can go once a day. Your marriage, lean in. Uh, things that you do to improve your marriage, you're not going to regret and you can't overdo it. So lean into it. And, uh, you know, for your homework, you could get the Be Devoted book that Bob wrote at the jp2healingcenter.org. That's jpiihealingcenter.org. You can find information on the retreats that they hold, also on his Restore the Glory podcast. Great practical advice. Learn your spouse's love language and utilize that information to the best of your ability. So thank you for being with us on another episode of Dr. Doctor. You can find this in all our episodes on drdoctor.org. You can just click on episode archive at the top, search over 280 episodes by topic or guest. And we now offer a video version of our web uh, episode here on the webpage. You can click on it at the top of drdoctor.org by the YouTube link. And also, if you have a question or an idea for a topic that we cover an episode, just click where it says submit a question. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally, and we're signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-host. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your questions to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at drdoctor.org. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Doctor Show and tune in for new episodes every Friday. Plus, find all our past episodes at drdoctor.org. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.